Now, values are important because we all live by them. You know, some of you work with companies that have values, but values reflect, you know, what's important to you. You know, sometimes we say we value something, but unless we act in a way that proves we value it, we really don't value it. And why don't we act according to our values? Well, many times it's because we live with competing values. We have values, but there's other values that we have that we may not say, but competes with these values. When I was a, um, a manage, in management and passenger service at Continental, I remember our values that they told us was providing the best customer service. Right? And so all of those managers, we went to customer service training that was provided by SAS Airlines in order to make us an uh, airline that provides the best customer service. But guess what? It had little to no effect on how we provided customer service. Why? Because everyone from the top manager on down didn't value customer service. They said they valued customer service, but what they valued even more was a competing value, which was making a profit, right? So when you want to make a profit, you cut all of these areas. Any areas or, you know, that you know, the company thought was, hey, you know, if we wronged a customer, hey, we need to compensate them, or we need to do this in order to provide them a better experience. Well, guess what? Yes, they wanted to do that, but on the flip side, it costs money. So we have two competing values. What did they choose? They choose the one over the finance, right? Well, we had bargain fares. Did you know that we were called the Greyhound bus of the airline industry? That's what Continental was. Now, how many of you um, believe that Greyhound bus is known for the quality service? Probably not. And that, you know, that was an insult <laughs> to us as an airline, right? At that time, you know, Singapore was the standard of customer service. I don't know what it is today, but at that time, if you've ever flown, I don't know, I've never, I wish I could fly Singapore, but I never did. But they were the standard of customer service. Why? Because everyone from uh, top management down valued customer service, and they were willing to pay for it. Every aspect was, um, every penny that they spent was created to enhance and give the customers a great experience. You know, Nordstrom's is the same way, right? You know, I don't shop at Nordstrom's, but, you know, Nordstrom's has a policy that, you know, they'll take any return back, no questions asked, right? And I remember when I was at Continental, they used to have these really nice parties and dances, right? And some of the women, they used to go to Nordstrom's and buy a really nice dress, but make sure they kept the label and tucked it in, and they were wore it for a night, right? And guess what they would do the next day? They would return it, and Nordstrom's would take it. And so they asked Nordstrom's, well, why do you do this? You know, people are taking advantage of it. They're, wearing, they're buying this nice, these nice pieces of clothes, and people are just wearing them once and returning it. And they said, well, it, it's our customer service policy that we don't want to penalize the majority of people based upon the few people that they know that would, miss, that would abuse their policy, Right? They knew people would abuse their policy, and people did. I don't know if any of you know people that did it, right? But they knew it was a small 
percentage of the customers, and they didn't want to penalize everybody because of that. Why? Because their value was customer service, and that's what they provided. But we all know this in our personal value, right? You know, for me, you know, my, I could say my personal value is to live a healthy lifestyle, Every year I say that, that my value is, gonna, is to live a healthy lifestyle. But there's these competing values, is, which is what? Pleasure and comfort. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say that those are my values, but inherently they are. But they compete with a healthy lifestyle, right? It's like kale salad over soba noodles and tempura. I want you to show this picture if you could... Uh, See this picture? Okay, Grace took me, to, we were in South Bay, so Grace took me to this place called Otafuku, right? And so I, I went there, and what they had is they, we, I ordered, well, Grace and I both ordered this, same thing, but they give you white soba noodles. I've never had that before in my life, right? And of course, tempura, which is what? Just fried stuff, right? And, and so I said, wow, this is good. And you see that dipping sauce where you dip your noodles in it. And then afterwards, they give you this little teapot with hot water. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do with this? You know? And they said, oh, you're supposed to put it in your dipping sauce. And I said, what am I supposed to do with that? You're just going to dilute it. They said, no, no, no. It's supposed to be a soup. I go, what? And so they, I poured it in, and I drank it. I, oh, my goodness, this is so good, right? But this is not a meal that somebody with type 2 diabetes should be eating, <laughs> right? Once again, healthy lifestyle, <laughs> type 2 diabetes, or pleasure and comfort. Well, guess what won? Pleasure and comfort, right? Competing <laughs> value. Although I had spinach. I had spinach as an appetizer, but it came with a sweet sesame sauce, so that probably didn't do my diabetes any good anyway. But, you know, di diabetes drives people's behavior. Actually, it doesn't drive mine. Values drives people's behavior, okay? And that's what values do. Now, values are the guardrails of the church to keep it operating in a manner reflective of the way that they want to do ministry. So if you look at this next picture, okay, you see this road, right? And you see two guardrails, um, uh, on each side of the road, right? And they're there to protect the drivers. And so basically the guardrails are there. It's like, okay, we want you to drive in between those guardrails. Anything outside those guardrails is out of bounds, and your driving pleasure is not going to be that good, right? And so that's kind of like the church. This is what our values do. They are like the guardrails on both sides of the road. So as long as we're on the road bracketed by our values, we're operating the way we want. But guess what? You know, there are temptations. There are personal values that compete with the church's values that want to take us outside these guardrails. And when we go outside these guardrails, which is our values, we know we're not operating in the way that we believe that God wants us to do. And this is difficult. This is difficult because we're talking about uh, changing your behavior. And if you, you know, unless you're really disciplined of, of, of a person, changing your behavior is not easy. But we're going to talk about how our values were created to shape and change our behaviors. So the first value is a value of connect. 
And what do we mean by our value of connect? It's joining people together to experience God. Joining people together to experience God. If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Genesis 1.26? Genesis chapter 1.26, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what I wanted to uh, communicate to us, as image bearers of a relational God, we were created to be relational beings. And this is important. But the question is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because everyone who has walked on this face of the earth since Adam and Eve was made in the image of God. And basically that refers to the immaterial part of who we are. You know, it sets, it's a part of us that sets us apart from the animal world and, a, and enables us to compute, commune or fellowship or be in a relationship with God. You know, it's the likeness of mentality, morally, moral, and social aspects that we all have, right? Human beings are capable of reason and we're able uh, to choose. Now, it doesn't mean that we have the omnis, okay? What's the omnis? Well, omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, or omnipresent, being everywhere at once. We will never, ever have those omnis. Even when we die and go to heaven and have our new spiritual bodies, we will never have those omnis. Okay, that does not mean what it means to be made in the image of God. However, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they exist in perfect relationship with one another. And since they are relational beings, being created in their image, what? makes us relational beings, right? And so um, what this means is we were created to connect with one another. And if you take a look at, you know, people and what messes us up, if we don't have relationships with other people, right? That's what causes a lot of problems. But one, the second point I want to bring up is that humans were created to connect with one another, Humans were created to connect with one another, right? Genesis 2.5 says, And he took the man and put him into the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So when the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
Now, here, you, you know, this is the story of creation. Now, basically, as I go through our vision and statements, all four of them, you're pretty much going to know all of these verses. It's going to say, oh, I already know these things. And so, most likely, you do. And the purpose of this is to try to help you to look at it in a different way, or maybe the Holy Spirit will be speaking through what you know in a different manner. Maybe you might be in a different place in your life, but don't check out just because, oh, I know that verse already. Oh, yeah, I've heard many sermons on that because I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to be speaking to all of you today in a way that's different than he's done before. And so what do we see here? We see here that, you know, God created Adam to what? Name the animals. So can you imagine him? Donkey, elephant, giraffe, right? He's naming all of them and Hey, how come no one's like me? Okay, rhinoceros, lion. <laughs> but there's no one like me, right? And so God looked at that and he said, oh, that's not good. It's not good for, you know, Adam to be naming all of these animals, but, you know, he's by himself. But have you ever wondered, okay, God, what was up with that? Why couldn't you have just created Adam and Eve together? And that would have solved the problem, Right? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe I'm the only one that wonders those type of things, you know. Why didn't you create them together? Why did you say, oh, it was not good for man to be alone? Well, duh, you know. But I think God did that to show Adam and all of us that we need to be in a relationship with other human beings, right? And we can't have that same relationship with animals now, you know, I have had dogs, and my dogs have been my children, right? And I think I connect with them, right? But I can't connect with them in the way that I connect with all of you, right? I can't share those experiences. And so what God did was he created them separately to show Adam and to show us that we need each other. But it's become increasingly hard to do that, right? We become more independent. We're becoming more isolated, right? But the Bible says that we were created to connect with one another. And even Solomon, Solomon, you know, says this, that he explains it in more practical terms in Ecclesiastes, starting with 4.9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, Either, if either one falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Once again, Solomon gives us practical, you know, advice on why it's important for us to connect with other people, right? So we see that humans were connected to connect with one another, but human beings were also created to connect to God, which is my next point. Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon also writes, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Basically, what God is saying here is that he has placed eternity in each person's heart, from Adam all the way down to us. And what does that mean? That God has placed 
a space. He created a space in each human that he and he alone could fill, right? This is why we need to connect to God because it is in our DNA to connect with God, right? He also goes on to say, um, oh, in that passage, you know, he was saying, so yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, God is infinite. We don't know what he's doing at the beginning. We don't know what's going to happen at the end. You know, with God, there is no beginning in the end. And so he's placed eternity, him being eternal in our hearts, that our finite minds cannot comprehend who he is, and we will never, ever be able to comprehend who he is, but there's a desire in each one of us to reach out and try to un at least get to know him, to have him fill these desires, to fill this void that he placed inside each one of us, all right? And further, he made his existence known to us. You know, in Romans 1.19, the Apostle Paul says, since that what may be known about God is made is plain to them because God had made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So people are without excuse. Once again, we see that God created a space inside each of one, one of us that only he could fill. So there's a natural longing for God that each human being has. But he also says, look, guys, you've seen my invisible qualities from this time that this earth was created. So nobody has an excuse to not know about me. And he's talking about his invisible qualities here. And he said they've been understood. Like how many of you have been, let's say, in the desert or in the mountains where there's no lights and you've just looked up and you've seen the stars, right? Well, you know, that's just a small, small portion of our Milky Way. You know, a Milky Way has billions and hundreds of billions of stars and we could just see a small, small quantity, a small, small portion of that, right? And there are billions of galaxies out there, right? And so when you look at God's creation, you've got to say something, some person created this. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. It's not only that God placed a place inside each one of us, but he also made his invisible qualities known so that none of us, when we stand before um, Jesus Christ, will have an excuse. No one will have an excuse. And it's interesting, Christianity Today had this article that says, five ways people are drawn to God without even knowing it. And it was very referring to unbelievers. And this article or this author was saying that unbelievers are drawn to God even though they don't know they're drawn to God. And I think some of it has to do with the two verses that I read. But the first one they said was there was this issue of totality, meaning that um, the universe is so vast. I don't know how, if any of you have seen um, pictures from the James Webb telescope. Have any of you seen those? Those are amazing. They're amazing, and they are so much clearer than the Hubble 
telescope. You know? And, and so we know that this universe is so big and we're just so insignificant, right? We're so insignificant that our insignificant drives us to want to connect. Connect with who? Connect with a higher power, or in our case, connect with God. The second thing is norm. That every human being, as we go through life, we're saying, is this the norm? Is this the normal way to live life? Right? I don't know about you, but, you know, I subscribe to Newsweek, to L.A. Times. I watch the news. And there is no way you could watch that and say, you know, this is normal. You know, as you look at what's going on in this world, as you see how people are treated, how you see how people, what people are experiencing, the pain and the suffering, or maybe even the pain and suffering that you are going through right now, right? You are saying, is this the norm? Is this normal? Is this the right way to live? And most of us would take a look at it, at the way this world is right now, and we say, nah, this can't be the normal way to live life. Then the next um, way is, or thought is deliverance, meaning that we're taking a look at life. We're saying, is this normal? And we come to the conclusion that, no, this, this can't be normal. This hurt, this pain that people are suffering in this world, the evil in this world that we see, this can't be normal. So is there a way out of this? And that's what they call deliverance. Deliverance. The next is destiny, is are we puppets or do we have freedom? Is there a purpose in my life? And everybody is asking these questions. Even non-believers, you know, we, we've heard them say things like, I think this is the way things were meant to be. Well, they're talking about fate. Well, who meant them to be, right, if you don't believe in a God, right? But... Is there any purpose for my life? Do I have a choice or things just, am I just a result of my environment? And finally, transcendence. And that's, is there something beyond? Okay? If there is a, is, if there is a normal to what life should be, who dictates that normality? Because we've seen what goes on when everybody else tries to dictate what's normal. That's what we see. But then we question, is there someone who says this is right or wrong? Who will deliver us? Obviously, we're looking in this place that's filled with evil and pain and suffering. We know this isn't the norm. And we say, is there a way to be delivered from this? And if that's the case, who's going to deliver us? From this, and then the ultim- and then the last one is of transcended is who is ultimately in control. Is all of this stuff random, or is there someone, some being, in control? Every, what the author said is that all human beings um, experience these five things, and all of these answers are found what in God and God alone. And they were found in those two verses. And so people are drawn to God without even noticing it. However, there is, once I said, a counter value. It says Romans 125, it's not up there, but if you could just write that down. It says, um, while we were naturally drawn to connect with God, instead 
we go after worldly things, right? See, when it comes to our need for love, affirmation, security, self-worth, uniqueness, self-image, and so forth, those are good things. We all need those things. But we, God, all of those things, what? They point back to God. God is a supplier of all of those things. But what Romans 1 says, instead of looking to God for our affirmation, instead of looking for God for our security, our love, and our self-worth, we look to things in this earth, right? And what um, Paul says is, we know the truth about God, but rather connecting with him, we go after the things in the world that would satisfy us. And he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Once again, this is what Paul says. They, meaning men, and they said, they exchanged the truth about God that God is the one who satisfies all of their desires. God is the source of the satisfaction for everything that we need, right? And he says that we exchange that truth about God for a lie, and we worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Do we do that today? Of course we do, right? We know that in our head. We know that our affirmation can only come from God. We know if we want to feel absolutely loved, it comes from God. All of these did self-worth, security, it comes from God. But what do we do? Sometimes we believe in the lie, right, as Paul said. And we serve created things rather than the creator, right? And those things that were created, they never satisfy. They never do. You and I both know that. And yet we keep chasing those things. So it says, humans were created to connect with one another. Humans were created to connect with God. And the last point is the early church joined people together to experience God, and he blessed them for it. Okay? The early church joined people together to experience God, and he, meaning God, blessed them for it. And this is, we see this in Acts 2.42, and I've preached on this before. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You know, the early church gave us an example of our first value, of joining people together to experiencing God. They didn't just come together to have dinner together and talk about you know, the, the, uh, the day's events and the sporting events and what's going on in people's lives. No, they came together to fellowship, to connect with one another, to do what? To experience God. That's why you see fellowship and prayer and being dedicated to the teaching of the apostles. They did both. And for us, that's our value. Our value isn't just to come together to fellowship, to have a good time together. Yes, that's part of it, but the larger part of it is so we could what? So we could experience God. So the question is, how do I live this value? How can I join people together to experience God? 
Well, the first thing is have the attitude of taking initiative. You have to have the attitude that I'm going to take initiative. Now, what does that mean? You know, when I was at, you know, my other church, we were fairly large. We were about 700, right? And one thing that we noticed as a staff, that the people that stuck around were the people that took initiative to go out and reach out to people to get involved in ministry and so forth. They took the initiative. And those who took the initiative tended to stick around. However, those who didn't take the initiative, who just came on Sunday and pretty much that was it, after a while, you know, they left the church. And so we have to have, and that, the same goes here. The same goes here, is that we have to take the initiative. I know it's hard. If you're new, it's hard. And we'll do our best that we need to take an initiative here to try to connect with you. But if you're new, you also have to take the initiative to try to connect um, with, the inter- with the life here at uh, Mission Valley. Another thing that we could do to join um, people together to experience God is remain after service to attend Ca- Connect Cafe for the purpose of connecting with people. Don't just come and just leave right away. Take the initiative to stay in order to connect with people. Now, some of you who are introverts here, you're saying... You just didn't tell me this. No, I didn't hear that, right? You know, it's like me going, why don't you just go, I'd rather do that than to go out and connect with people that I I know. And for you introverts, it's hard. And I get that because if you look at me on the scale of introversion to extroversion, I'm way on the introverted side, right? And a lot of people, you're surprised by that. But this is an area that God has really done a work in me. Because when I was in high school, when I was in college, oh my goodness, you wouldn't hear a word from me. I would be so afraid to connect with people because I was afraid of what they would think of me. I'd, I didn't know how to do small talk, right? I didn't know how to do that, right? You know, so I'd talk to people and go really deep with them and they go, I just met you. What, what are you telling me this stuff for? Because I didn't know how to small talk. Now I do. So it's a lot easier, right? You know, and I went to Biola, and no one talked to me. And I thought it was because, okay, there was only five Asians there, and they didn't know how to talk to Asians. Because actually I was told that, hey, you're the, only, you're the first real Asian that I've ever seen other than on TV, right? But it wasn't them. It was me. It was me. It was my introversion. I didn't take the initiative, so it was very lonely for me, going to class all by myself, going to uh, meals, sitting there all by yourself, or even when you're hungry, I didn't even want to go to the dining hall because I didn't want to sit by myself, so I would skip meals on purpose, right? So I didn't have to sit by myself, and I'd go to bed hungry, and I'd go, why did I skip dinner, or whatever, right? So I get it, right? But this is what God could work it's got to, I mean, I've made some stupid mistakes when I learned to small talk with people, right? I, I said some things, that, why did I say that? But it's a learning process. And over thir- the next, you know, 30, 40 years, God has grown me in that area, right? And he could do the same thing to you. And so one of the things is Connect Cafe is important. So those of you who serve, 
Thank you so much. You know, Sherry, thank you so much for organizing this. Why? Because it changed the culture of our church, right? Some of you could remember before we had Connect Cafe humming, people would come to service and they'd leave right after. So we started Connect Cafe, and people started staying and connecting with each other. But then there was this one competing value, and that competing value was what? To talk with just my friends, right? Oh, yeah, there's new people here. And come on, people, this is a small church. If you've been here for a while, you know who's new, right? But one, the competing value is, oh, I want to hang out with my friends. So I remember I got so upset, I took a video camera and I took a picture of Connect Cafe. Uh, And then the next board meeting, I showed it to the board. I said, hey, look at that person. He's new. No one's talking to them. Oh, look at that person. He's new. No one's talking to him. Why is that? And then I said, you know, if this keeps up, I'm going to shut down Connect Cafe. Right? Because I said, basically, yeah, it's fun for us, but we're sending a clear message to those who are new that they're not welcome here. And I said, that's not what we want to do. That's not a value. So if we don't change this, I am shutting it down. Of course, Conflicting value. Oh, I like to eat after service. I like the cakes. I like the snacks. Well, then start talking to people or I'm going to shut it down. And, and so what happened was what? We saw the behavior started to change. How many of you have been here five years or more? Raise your hand. Okay. It is your responsibility to take initiative to reach out to new people. Don't tell me you don't know who the new people are. I could just look around and I could tell you right here. And I know you do. Take initiative to go and talk to them, right? Join a life group or get involved in a ministry. This is key. You know, um, we had life group registration. But you know what? You know, when a new person comes to the church, you know, studies shown that they have to connect with at least seven people in the church in order for them to feel like this is home. So if you just come and you leave and you don't connect with at least seven people, you're not going to feel this is your home, and eventually you're going to leave. But the best way to connect with people is through life groups or, you know, get involved in a ministry, right? And you get to meet new people. Um, When you socialize with fellow believers, ask ask what God has been doing in their lives. When you get together, don't just talk about how bad the Lakers are, okay? Sorry, that's... Ah. Um, don't just talk about that. You know, talk about other stuff. Talk about what God's doing in your life, you know. And that's what gives me great joy. And one of the things I do is, you know, baptisms. You know, Will Pack and I, uh, we come... You know, when there's a baptism, we come the Saturday before, and we fill the baptistry. And it takes, about, it takes us about an hour to an hour and a half. But in those times, we spend time talking about what God is doing in our lives. He he asks questions about theology. We talk about that stuff. We talk about experiencing God. So we're not just talking about sports. What? We talk about what God is doing in our lives, and that is so exciting. And so for you, continue to do that. When you get together, don't just talk about you know, stuff that's happening around you. Talk about what God is doing in your lives. When I was young, when I was in high school, I'd go to these Christian camps, and you'd introduce yourself, and I'd introduce myself. And the first thing they asked you was what? How's your walk, right? How's your walk? 
And it's not, it's not like, okay, you got a knee replacement. How's your walk? That's not what they were talking about, right? How's your walk with Jesus? We always asked each other how you walk with Jesus is. Now, no. I mean, when was the last time you asked somebody that? We don't dare go there, right? Oh, that's personal. Well, that's none of your business, right? <laughs> but we used to do that, right? Ask each other how they are experiencing God. And you're going to, that's where we join people together to experience. And these are just some of the ways, right? These are just some of the ways. And, and so, you know, this is our uh, value of connect. It's not just getting together and connecting to have fun, to socialize together. That's good. But we want you within that connection to, experiencing, to experience God, to experience what God is doing in the lives of other people, and to, experience, to have them experience what God is doing in your life. You know, this is hard. It's not easy. But with God's help, it's going to change the way we do ministry here if we all get on board with this. And yes, there are going to be competing values to this, but we have to make this a priority. Why? Because this is what we believe that God wants, and this is going to help us grow, and this is going to help us live like Christ. So what's our weekly challenge? Is read Genesis 1, 26-27, Genesis 2, 15-23, Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, Romans 1, 19-20, I know it's a lot, Ecclesiastes 3, 11, and Acts 2, 42, whoops, that's not right. Oh, read Acts 2, you'll, you'll, you'll find it when it talks about the church, okay? Now this is the kicker. I want you to meet at least one new person every Sunday at where? For the next two months. I think that's about eight Sundays. Eight new people by the end of the year, right? And then if you are new to Mission Valley, attend the next Blueprint class, which Annette and Bob Rosa are taking. What that does is that talks about the pathway or how to get connected into the church. But, that second one, I know, you introverts are going, and I may not see you the next two months. <laughs> but anyway, take the initiative, right? Because unfortunately, our last value is courage, and I'm not going to get that till another four, four week, another three weeks. But have courage. And do that. It's not easy. You're going to make mistakes. Okay, and if someone comes to you and they're trying to make small talk and you're going, what is this person talking about? All right, don't roll your eyes. Encourage them. And just say, hey, that's okay. That's okay. You're, you're trying. I'm proud of you for trying. Okay? And so if we do that, we'll change um, the uh, culture of this church. And I know that, uh, you know, as a pastor, I'm truly thankful for all of you. And... Um, I'd like to call our uh, board chairmen, uh, Fred Sen and uh, Jeff Lee Ford, and they wanted to share some things with you. <laughs> 